0: you turn to Matthew 21, please, and I'm going to read as you follow along, Matthew 21, starting at verse 1 through 16. As I read, I want you to kind of get A picture. Jesus at the end of chapter 20 has just healed two blind men um, as he's leaving Jericho and he's headed towards Jerusalem. He's arriving in Jerusalem and there's this crowd of people that have just seen him heal two blind people and it's approaching Passover and there's this anticipation in the air after thousands of years. Could he be the one? Could he be the Messiah? Chapter 21, verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and the throng following him, and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, Jesus does this. Verse 6, the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, and this in fulfillment of Psalm 118, another messianic passage in the Old Testament were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, healing blind and healing lame, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they rejoiced. Okay, good. I just seen who would look up and know that I misread that. Okay. The chief priests and the scribes seeing him healing blind and lame people and the children proclaiming him to be the son of David said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes afresh to the good news today of who Jesus is and the difference that means for us. In his name, amen. Okay, well, I'd like to start with a little test this morning. We're in the midst of the presidential elections. So this is the test. There are three requirements to be able to be a president of the United States. There's only three requirements. You can be anything else, but you've got to be these three things. Meaning, no, I won't go there. Okay. So can anybody give me one? Raise your. What's the? You have to be a like born U.S. citizen. (laughs) That is, just to to to, that's correct. But I'll (laughs) expand on it a little bit. I don't think you would have passed a citizenship test with that answer. (laughs) You have to be a native-born U.S. citizen. Mean you have to be born in the United States of America not necessarily to parents who are U.S. citizens. So for example, Juliana that lived with us from Guatemala, her daughter Nikki was born here a U.S. citizen. She could be a president of the United States. Daniel can also be a president of the United States, even though he was born in the Philippines. Because the other is either native-born or born overseas to two parents. Who are both U.S. citizens, and I am. I'm pretty sure my wife is also. So that's the first requirement. Alex, 35 years old. Very good. That's the second one. You have to be 35, at least 35 years old. You're like blinded there by the sun. Is there a, is there a way to? It'll pass. It'll pass? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You just looked looked uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, 35 years old. Just this is this is a free one on the side. Anybody know who the youngest president of the United States was so far? Nate. John F. Kennedy. Do you know how old he was when he was elected? 43. 43. Man, that's very good. That's impressive. Sorry. I realize you didn't come here to learn about presidents. This is this is free, okay? Anybody know who the oldest president? Somebody besides Nate. Yeah. Ashley? No, I'm sorry. Oh, you were blocked. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Still, I'm sorry. Like, she is. Okay. <laughs> You're really the target here today. <laughs> sorry. Oldest, who's. Roosevelt? Nope. I didn't, not the longest, the, the oldest person fairly 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 recent ronald reagan? yes ronald reagan was 77 when he um came to the end of his term okay number 3 there's one one other requirement you know if any of you are considering being president anybody know this is the i think the least known one well i'm not going to tell you <laughs> <laughs> You have to live in the United States for at least 14 years before you run for president of the United States. Okay? That's it, uh, in case you were considering running. This brings us to the most recent controversy regarding one of these criteria. And uh, I want you to know right up front, this isn't a political statement. This is just facts I'm giving you, okay? <laughs> Regarding our current president, Barack Obama, um, there's conspiracy theories about his citizenship. Are you all you're all aware of that? You all live in the world we live in, okay? And the conspiracy theorists <laughs> claim that our current president is not a natural-born citizen of the United States and is therefore not eligible to be the president. And these are a couple of the theories. Stay with me because this has has to do with my message, okay? This isn't just trivia. Um, Some theories allege that Obama was born in Kenya, not Hawaii, or that his birth certificate is a forgery. Others, that he became a citizen of Indonesia, and there's others, that his father was a dual citizen and therefore he can't be a natural born citizen. Uh, The people who make these claims are referred to as birthers, you've heard that name? Um, And unsuccessfully filed to keep him from becoming president. So the question I want you to think about this morning is with all this controversy, why is it that he is president of the United States? Well, the answer is four things that he did to prove that he meets the requirement, okay? The first is, before his election in 2008, he released his official birth certificate. The second, the Hawaii Department of Health confirmed it. The third, in 2011, just last year, he released a certified long copy of his birth certificate, and finally, um, the birth announcements in two Hawaiian newspapers um, in August 1961 of his birth were released, showing that he really was born in Hawaii. Again, I just want to—I want you to know this. This is just this is just information I'm giving you of what he went through to prove that he qualifies to be the president and therefore can be the president. Now, to go along with that, I want you to realize that I could probably claim to be the rightful heir to the German throne if there was a throne in Germany still because I bear the name Frederick. Okay, That's my last name if you didn't know. David Frederick, and I'm guessing, I mean, I'm assuming that one of my ancestors is Frederick the Great, uh, who was king of Prussia from 17, it's not funny, this is, might be true, between 1740 and 1786, uh, Frederick II, his father was Frederick William I, his son was Frederick William II, so makes sense that I am probably in that line. And uh, you should treat me a little more respectfully (laughs) as a result. The only problem is I can't prove it. I can't prove it. I can talk all I want about how great this Frederick is, (laughs) but I can't prove that I am in succession from the Fredericks, the kings of Prussia, which was before, which became Germany. Um, So I wouldn't qualify. If I tried, I would be considered a a fraud, a usurper, and, uh, and not allowed to be on the throne. Now, as ridiculous as all that sounds, this is what is at stake as we talk about Jesus being the Messiah and why the chief priests and scribes in what I read took such offense. Do you hear what the children are saying? They're calling you the son of David, meaning the Messiah, because the Messiah had to be the son of David. Do you hear what they're saying? Because if you hear what they're saying and you're letting them say that, you're claiming and by accepting their claim, you're a fraud and you're a deceiver, and you need to be stoned. Unless Jesus passes the test. And so as we look at the book of Matthew over the next weeks, and and Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, the first test which is so important that he must pass is that he is the son of David. Now, I realize that some of you have... Probably thinking, great, boring. I've I already know that, Dave. Um, and that's that's fair. Some of you probably know that you've read your Bibles. Um, but two questions. Just number one. Number one is, even though you know that, could you prove that to somebody? Because it's pretty important information. If Because for thousands of years, the Jewish people and the world waited for the Messiah, the one who was promised beginning in Genesis 3 and all through in hundreds of passages in the Old Testament, the promised one who would come, the deliverer, the restorer who would come. And Jesus claimed to be that one and if he isn't that one, then he is a fraud and we shouldn't want anything to do with him. But if he is, then that's Pretty amazing and provides us with hope and freedom and life that we could never imagine that God promised. But you've got to be able to prove that to somebody because you don't want to just say, yeah, you've got to believe in Jesus unless you can prove that he really is the promised Messiah. But the second might be even, even more important than that. Are you aware that even though Jesus was called the son of David in the New Testament and accepted that claim that there's actually a person in, him, in his genealogy. It's kind of a, a skeleton in the closet, maybe you'd call it. Who, because of his presence in Jesus' family line, actually disqualifies Jesus from being the Messiah. Now, what are we going to do about that? How many of you are aware of that? Okay. And that's pretty serious. And so, hopefully you're going to pay attention. Because if he has been called it and he claims that and he really isn't that, we really shouldn't want anything to do with him because there's someone else we should be looking for, right? So, five questions that I'd like us to look at briefly this morning. And we're going to s- zip through a lot of scripture to do this. Um, and the first question is, and I'll just kind of tell you the questions. The first question is, what does the Old Testament tell us about the family tree of the Messiah? I mean, so that we know that the Messiah needed to be from this family line. The second one is, what did people who lo- lived during Jesus' time think about him? Um, Is there a family tree that actually proves Jesus being a descendant of David? What is the problem in the closet, the skeleton, this person that disqualifies him? And is there an answer to that individual and him disqualifying Jesus from being the Messiah? Okay, that's it. Flip back to Genesis. We're going to look at a few verses in Genesis really quickly because the first is what does the Old Testament tell us about who the Messiah is to be descended from? You know, as we come out of Genesis 3 and God's promise that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent and and the anticipation begins there. Beginning in, in Genesis 9, coming out of the flood, look at verse 26, we see God says, I mean, Noah says, and kind of in a prophetic way, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And we get the first glimpse of where the seed of the woman is going to come from. Genesis 10.26. I'm going to go through, through these really quickly. From Shem, we see that it passes on in verse 26. Genesis 10.26 It says, in the line of Shem, um, um, sorry, make that 1126. In the line of the descendants of Shem, it says, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Abram is the Abraham of the Bible. Look at chapter 12, verse 3, and it's to this Abraham that God says, in you... The last part of verse 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And if you remember a few weeks ago we talked about in Galatians 3 where that's, it says that was the gospel that God was giving of the one who would come, the good news of the one who would come. Um, Genesis 17, 21. So we see Shem, we see Abraham, and then Abraham's son in Genesis 17, 21, Isaac, this is Said about him, God says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And so the line goes not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. Go to Genesis 25. Genesis twenty-five twenty-three. Rebecca has twins in her womb and she's, they're kind of battling it out inside of her womb, it sounds like. And, the, and she's wondering, God, what's going on? And the Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And if you look down at verse 26, that younger is Jacob who comes out second, grasping the hill of his older brother Esau and it's through him god promises that the line will come genesis 49 and so jacob who god changes his name to israel ends up with 12 sons and these are the blessings that are that are bestowed on these 12 sons in genesis 49 but i want you to notice verse Um, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Another translation says until he comes to whom it belongs. And it's a prophecy of the coming king, the Messiah, who's going to come through the line of Judah. Judah. Flip to second, uh, first Chronicles. It's um, uh, several books after Genesis. First Chronicles seventeen, verse eleven. First Chronicles seventeen eleven, and God says to David, when your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers. That I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it away from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever And his throne shall be established forever. And so God promises to David this eternal family line, which is a prophecy that the Messiah will come through the line of David. And then one more in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. Excuse me, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse verse 6. Sorry, Isaiah 9, 6. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. And you can keep reading. And so it's really clear in the Old Testament, and we could go through prophecy after prophecy, But what is clear in the Old Testament is that the promised one, the deliverer, the Messiah, is going to come through this line Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, and will be one of David's descendants and will reign on David's throne. Um, So the Messiah had to qualify as one of David's descendants. What did the people of Jesus' time think? Look at Matthew. We're going to look at some verses in Matthew really quick. Did they think he was the Messiah? Well, the children, obviously, uh, were calling that out in 21. But look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 16. Um, Daniel preached on this last week. This is Peter's confession. When Jesus said, Who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter, speaking for the disciples, says, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You are the one who fulfilled this qualification." In um, I mentioned in passing in Matthew chapter 20 the two blind men as Jesus was leaving Jericho. But as in Matthew 20:31, notices the crowd tells them to be quiet. They cry out all the more, "Lord, Son of David!" Have mercy on me, and this is them crying out to Jesus for healing, acknowledging Him as the Messiah, the Son of David. Um, look at chapter twelve, Matthew twelve. Uh, one more, chapter twelve twenty three. As a demon possessed man in twenty two, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and He healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. Notice it says, all the crowds were amazed and were saying, well, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? And so for them, they realized that if he was the, they really think, he's not the Messiah, is he? But they word it as the son of David because the Messiah had to be a descendant of David. So is there a family tree? Um, you know, if the kings of England, the kings of, I mean, all these, you know, the royalty, they can prove their, you know, they go back through the line. And there is a family tree. Look at Matthew chapter 1. And we're, just, we're not going to look at this very long, but I just want you to see it if you haven't seen it before. Starting at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. And just simply, it says he is the descendant of Abraham that he needed to be and he's the descendant of David. And then it goes through and it very clearly gives Jesus' family tree, uh, proving that he was a descendant of David. So the problem. Any... The problem is in this genealogy. I'd like you to look at verse 11. And a problem that really I'm very, very seriously disqualifies Jesus from being the Messiah. Look at verse 11. It says, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and so forth. There in the midst of Jesus' family tree is this guy's Jeconiah. And if you follow it through, it goes all the way through to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And Jeconiah is one of his descendants. What is it about this guy? Jeremiah. If you want to turn there, we're going to see just in really cold terms about this guy, Jeconiah. Jeremiah 22, uh, verse 28. Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-eight. 28. And we see an abbreviated um, form of his name here, Jeconiah, and he's called Coniah here, kind of an abbreviation of his name, but same man. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, shattered jar, or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they had not known? And that's what, like it talked about in Matthew 1. into They were deported into Babylon. O land, land, land. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 30. This is, this is the, the skeleton in the closet right here. Thus says the Lord. Write this man down childless. A man who will not prosper in his days. It's like... He had children, but it's like he didn't have children because it says, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Anybody think that's not clear? Well, we're not going to close in prayer yet, so don't, okay. But it's pretty clear. I mean, here in this genealogy is Jeconiah, And the judgment against him because of his wickedness is that no man of his descendants will sit on the throne of David, could be called a son of David. That's the problem. So, have the birthers won out? Is Obama really not a natural born? No, we're talking about Jesus here. Does he qualify? Does he qualify and how does he qualify? Let's go back to the New Testament and without a doubt he does qualify and and I'm going to tell you why. Look at Luke because the good news is in the Gospels there's not just one genealogy of Jesus but there's two. There's one in Matthew chapter 1 and there's one in Luke chapter 3. And they're different. And I'm going to tell you why I think they're different. And why Jesus isn't disqualified because of Jeconiah. There's, there's two things that I want you to see. It, 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 the genealogy is in Luke chapter 3. It starts in 23. And there's two things right at the beginning that make it clear what's going on here. Notice verse 23, it says, When Jesus began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years of age. Notice the wording there. Being as was supposed, or you could say being supposedly the son of Joseph. Supposedly, but we could say not really. The son of Eli. Eli. And the actual wording there in all these isn't the son of, the son of, it just says of Eli, of, and all these names. It's not, doesn't, I, I went back and checked my Hebrew Bible just to make sure. It, it just says, supposedly, the son of Joseph, of Eli, of Mathat of Levi, of Melchiah. And so what we see here is, In Matthew, the genealogy of Joseph. In Luke, the genealogy of Mary, because Eli was actually Mary's father. Jacob was Joseph's father. Eli was Mary's father. And that's why it says, is it starts this genealogy, supposedly the son of Joseph, because he wasn't the son of Joseph. What was Jesus? He was virgin-born. He wasn't of the direct line of Joseph. He was of the direct line of Mary. And so, in Luke, we get the answer to Jeconiah. That with the virgin birth and Jesus' direct line back, notice the difference. If you were to compare them... um, in Matthew, Jesus' line coming through Joseph is David and David's son. Which one? Anybody? Solomon. In Luke here, notice the son that Mary's line, Jesus' line through Mary. It's David and then you see which, who, which son? Anybody awake out there? Nathan. Nathan. Nathan David's son, Nathan. Nathan. And so if you follow the, the, the family tree from Mary back to David, it goes through David's son, Nathan. Um, now, some of you might think, what? I mean, I, I hope you're not, but some of you might be saying, what, is, what does it matter? Well, it matters in the same way that it matters a whole lot to Barack Obama <laughs> that he can be president because he proved that he's a natural-born citizen. Otherwise, he couldn't be president. That's a pretty big difference for that guy, isn't it? I mean, for our president, that guy. Should have. I mean, president, not president, based on whether or not he could prove his qualifications. Messiah or not Messiah, completely based on whether he really is the son of David or isn't. And the good news is, Jesus is... Jesus passes test number one. He can be the Messiah because he is the son of David. Just, just to wrap it up, I'd like to give you three things that simply make this matter a whole lot. And I'm going to just read three simple passages in Isaiah, three prophecies that are huge. The first one is, why does it matter? It matters because we have hope because Jesus is the son of David the Messiah. Listen to Isaiah 42. It says, "Behold my servant." This is a, all three of these passages are messianic passages, prophecies about the Messiah. "Behold my servant whom I m- uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street." A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. The fact that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, and that he came and that he died and that he rose and he returned to heaven and he's coming again gives hope it gives he becomes the fulfillment of this problem. the se- second thing is it doesn't just provide absolute hope of justice and i i don't know about you but i'm i struggle with injustice every day <laughs> that surrounds me and, and and the kids we work with and the families they're a part of and and, and so often the judicial system that isn't just as, as uh, four of us were in Paulsbow yesterday working um, at, at the Paulsbow Coffee Oasis, uh, getting it ready. I, I had the privilege of working with an attorney um, who's very, very excited to, to volunteer with a, the, the Coffee Oasis. And it, but as we talked, one of his the reasons why he is so eager to volunteer with a Coffee Oasis is because of what he often sees as injustice in the justice system to our young people. But, but Jesus, we have hope that justice will happen when he reigns as king. And he will because he's the son of David. The second is freedom. It's beautiful. Isaiah 61, listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's what our hope that's one of the hopes of the Messiah is freedom, freedom for captives. Freedom for, for prisoners, for the brokenhearted. And, and many of us have been there and are there. We're, we're surrounded by a world that is enslaved to the flesh, to sin, to death, to the enemy, to the devil. And yet freedom, because Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, and because he went to the cross as the Messiah, he broke the bonds of slavery and has provided freedom for us in himself through his death and resurrection. That's hope. (laughs) That's freedom. And the last one, Isaiah 53, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Old Testament. I'm just going to read a few verses that ultimately says that he not only provides hope and freedom, but when we understand who he is as our Messiah, the Son of David, he provides for us life that we could never imagine. Listen, listen to verse 4 here. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Man, you get those words? I mean, what he took, what he experienced, so we could be who we are. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on him. And so because he experienced our sin for us on the cross, Death for us, we can have life in Him, our Messiah, the Son of David. Do you live in this realization? In the realization that Jesus, the Son of David, is our Messiah, and because of that, we have hope, we have freedom, we have life. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's so easy uh, just to know truth, I think, in our heads, and yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. Father, I pray that the truth of who he is would penetrate to our hearts and the difference that that therefore makes in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah that you are, and the hope and freedom and and life that is ours because of what you went through for us. Amen.